This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Please be sure to subscribe and share with friends and family. To help support this ministry, please visit allentempleamec.com slash donate. Thank you for listening. Our text this morning came from the book of Leviticus, the 16th chapter, and the reading was from the 20th through to the 22nd verses. Beginning at verse 20, this is what it says. When he finishes atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall offer the live goat. Then Aaron shall lay both of his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the sons of Israel and all their transgressions in regard to all their sins. And he shall lay them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who stands in readiness. Verse 22, the goat shall bear on itself all their iniquities to a solitary land and he shall release the goat in the wilderness. The word of God. In March 2018, and I've told this story before, but it bears repeating in the context of the scripture. In March 2018, a gentleman by the name of Nevest Coleman was released from prison after serving 23 years behind bars for a crime he did not commit. According to the Chicago Tribune, Coleman's conviction for a 1994 rape and murder was overturned in November after DNA evidence cleared him of all wrongdoing. But while in prison, Coleman would often watch the groundskeepers at the Chicago White Sox Stadium as they were taking care of the rain-delayed tarp on TV because they were his former colleagues when he used to work there, power washing and pulling back the same tarp. Coleman often talked fondly about his old role at the stadium, saying, I'd wake up in the morning, proud to go to work, the Tribune says. He says, I loved it. Now, when the White Sox leadership got wind of his desire to return to work after his release, they called him for an interview. And to Coleman's delight, he got his old job back. The head groundskeeper greeted him when he returned, saying, I saved a spot for you because I knew you would be back. As for the White Sox, they said in a statement, we're grateful that after more than two decades, justice has been carried out for Nevest. It's been a long time, but we're thrilled that we have the opportunity to welcome him back to the White Sox family. Coleman, who had kept his mind occupied in prison by reading, looked forward to spending time with his kids, whom he had left on the outside when they were babies, and his grandkids, and getting used to all this the changes in the park and all this technology. According to CBS News, Coleman said, I'm done looking back at the past. If I'm happy, everybody else will be happy. I don't have time to be miserable. To be honest with you, church, I can't even begin to imagine what it must be like to be in prison for one year, let alone 23. And on top of it, a crime I did not commit. 
The story of Neves Coleman brings to mind the idea that life can sometimes seem unfair. Whether the issues we face are our fault or not does not change the fact that someone always has to pay for someone else. And when that happens in the way that we did not expect, then we often say life is unfair. But God recognized that this is what our choices would bring us, so he made a provision which I'd like to talk about in a message I've titled today, Our Scapegoat. Our Scapegoat. Let us pray. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we've come from all walks of life with all issues and all challenges. But there is nothing that we have ever gone through that you have not been through yourself. And so today, Father, we lean upon you today to prop us up in the places, Lord, where we may feel less than, that you can remind us today, even in this message, that the issue of our value was settled at the cross. If we ever felt like we are nothing, remind us that you would have died even if we were the only people on this earth. For the issue of our value was settled once and for all at the cross. So help us to hear that today and to leave with renewed hope. For you, God, are always true. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the most common definition of a scapegoat is a person or a thing blamed for the misdeeds of others. That's pretty much what a scapegoat is. Scapegoats are never hard to find. Most of us at some time in our lives have been a scapegoat for other people. Or perhaps, to be honest, we ourselves might have scapegoated others for our benefit. But while Mr. Coleman's story is an extreme case of scapegoating, the most common place that we find scapegoats in our societies today is in our own dysfunctional families. Family dysfunction is not a mystery to anyone in this room. Whether you come from a two-parent or a one-parent or a no-parent household or if you come from a, a nuclear or a blended family or if you come from a foster care family or if I were to press the issue, I could easily prove that all of us are coming from some kind of dysfunctional family. Wow. I am sick and tired of church people pretending as if their lives are so perfect. Wow. It is anything but because if our lives were perfect, guess what? We wouldn't need to be in the church. Any more than if we were healthy, we would need to be in a hospital. And in families that exhibit dysfunction, there is always someone selected to serve in the role of a scapegoat. That person is usually chosen by consensus or a natural habit of shunning that person, which becomes sort of like an unspoken code of behavior that everyone just accepts. 
That person is chosen to bear the brunt of any psychological discomfort experienced by the family as a whole, and it is justified by the repeated and reinforced behavior of the whole family. Statements such as, oh, that's just Jimmy, always doing something stupid. You all know what I'm talking about. We do this even in our own families. Sometimes a scapegoat in the family is the one that is the most accomplished. The one that seems to always be working to achieve more and make something of themselves in an environment where everyone else was just happy to be mediocre. Sometimes a scapegoat in the family is the one that always seems to not be able to get things right. The one that always messes up. Somehow, if the family is going to the right, they seem to always want to go to the left. Always messing up. Y'all know the scapegoats. And sometimes a scapegoat is the one that was too pretty, or the one that had nice hair, or the one that was too tall, or the handsome one. Sometimes the scapegoat is the one that was born darker than everyone else. Or lighter than everyone else. Or the last born, or the first born, or mommy's favorite, or daddy's favorite, or the girl when they wanted a boy, or a boy when they wanted a girl. Am I talking to anybody yet? You see, what I'm trying to help you understand is that as human beings and people who have issues, whenever we recognize that we've got issues, the first thing we do is try to make the issue about someone else so that no one's looking at us. So we're going to scapegoat somebody yeah. and make somebody look like the bad one simply because we don't want anyone to know that we're really the ones that are bad. Well, well. But whomever the scapegoat is or was in your family, we can all agree that this was the one that was singled out through no particular fault of their own who became the object of ridicule. The one that felt like they carried the entire burden of guilt and shame for the whole entire family. That's the scapegoat. And sometimes, my brothers and sisters, the scapegoat was you. You may not feel like admitting it, but I'm sure many of you here can connect with feeling like you were the virtual trash bin for every ugly thing that the family wanted to disown. Sometimes in your family, your actions are either lied about, exaggerated, completely made up, and your caretakers, parents, loved ones seem to blame you for everything that has happened. And when things happen, the easiest way for them to deal with it was just to point their finger at you and then walk away. Anything you ever did incorrectly was magnified, and anything that they ever did wrong was never discussed. Anything they got Anything they got was expected, yet you felt like you were lucky just to get a fraction of what they received. I know I'm talking to somebody. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, even when or if you did not get anything from your family, it was exaggerated as being unfair or more than you deserved when you got nothing. Meanwhile, all of your siblings and everyone else were getting so much more and it was never, ever questioned. If this sounds a little bit like you, then maybe, just maybe, you might have been feeling a little scapegoated. We're first introduced to this idea of the scapegoat in Leviticus, the 16th chapter. There we find the ritual ceremony on what's called the Day of Atonement, or in the Hebrew, Yom Kippur. This was the most holiest days of worship for the Jewish people. It was also the most complicated 
in terms of its ritual performance. You see, on the Day of Atonement, there was a correspondence between the performance parts, the things that the priest would do, and the ritual, which is the meaning or the spiritual things they did represented. I'll make it clear in a moment. Similar to how in a wedding ceremony with its ritual features, it has the same effect on the participants and the congregants. You go to a wedding and you see all of the glitz and the glamour and the bride in her white gown and they do all of this stuff, and, but it's representing something a lot deeper than just simply saying, I do at the altar. There were two features that distinguished this day of worship. First, it was the one day of the year that the high priest and only the high priest entered into what's called the most holy place. There he would present sacrificial blood as atonement for the sins of Israel and the purification of the tent. So in other words, it's like you come to church on this very special day, this one day out of the year, and the pastor would take a goat or an animal, and sacrifice it on the altar for every single thing that every one of y'all did wrong for the whole year. And not only that, he's also going to purify the church. That's one of the things that he did. Inside this most holy place was the Ark of the Covenant, and it represented the presence of God. This box called the Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God. And the high priest would sprinkle blood on the lid of the box, which we call the mercy seat. And then he would then let the congregation know about this, but next he would sprinkle a little bit of blood on the outside of the temple. The blood decontaminated the ceremonial impurities accumulated by the sins and the uncleanness that everyone in the community had committed for the whole prior year. It's like you, you reserve all of your badness, your wickedness, all of the treachery that you commit, and then on Christmas, you want to act like you are all the most holy than everybody else. You're giving presents to people and wishing them goodwill. Meanwhile, you couldn't wait until December 26th to start talking bad about them again. Knowing that December 25th of that year, you get a chance to atone for your bad behavior. Are you tracking with me? Yes, sir. Secondly, the Day of Atonement included a ceremony now. Now, after all this blood sprinkling and all this other stuff that the priest was doing, the second part of the ceremony on this Day of Atonement was that they would expel a living animal from the camp. And the traditional name for that animal was a scapegoat. Now, I want you to indulge me as I read for you the text in its larger context. Now, it's a lengthy text. But I really believe that it's important. And part of the thing that's wrong with the church sometimes is that we really don't know the scriptures. Mm -hmm. So I want to read for you the text. And I want you to lend me the ears of your hearts. I want you to listen carefully as I read this. Now, I've chosen to read this text from the New Living Translation version of the Bible. And the reason why I want to do it is because I want you to hear it not in church words, but in real relatable words. Here's what it says in the book of Leviticus. Beginning at verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of Aaron's two sons who died after they entered the Lord's presence and burned the wrong kind of fire before him. The Lord said to Moses, warn your brother Aaron not to enter the most holy place behind the inner curtain whenever he chooses. 
If he does, he will die. For the ark's cover, the place of atonement is there. And I myself am present in the cloud above the atonement cover. Are you tracking with me? In other words, Aaron, God is telling Moses, tell Aaron, right, that he can't just go into the pulpit whenever he wants to. You can't just take it up on yourself to go and just do whatever you want in the holiest place of God. Because God is holy. And he says, oh, the mercy seat where I'm going to give. I prayed today and I don't know why I kept saying mercy, mercy, mercy as I prayed. But somebody needed to hear the mercy of God today. And what I'm telling you is if I come into this altar in a way that God does not require, I am telling you, I play with fire. So that's what M Moses is hearing from God. Tell Aaron that he can't just go into the pulpit whenever he chooses. Let's keep reading. God then says, when Aaron enters the sanctuary area, he must follow these instructions fully. He must bring a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He must put on his linen tunic and the linen undergarments worn next to his body. In other words, he must put on the tights before he put on the robe. He must tie the linen sash around his waist and put the linen turban on his head. These are sacred garments. So he must bathe himself in water before he puts them on. Aaron must take from the community of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Aaron will present his own bull as a sin offering to purify himself and his family, making them right with the Lord. Then, then he must take the two male goats and present them to the Lord at the entrance of the tabernacle. He is to cast sacred lots to determine which goat will be reserved as an offering to the Lord and which will carry the sins of the people to the wilderness of Azazel. Aaron will then present as a sin offering the goat chosen by Lot for the Lord. The other goat, the scapegoat chosen by Lot to be sent away will be kept alive, standing before the Lord. When it is sent away to Azazel in the wilderness, the people will be purified and made right with the Lord. Ministry. The church. This work is a bloody work. Hear me, it's a bloody work. But let's keep walking for a moment. And again, walk with me. Verse 15. Then Aaron must slaughter the first goat as a sin offering for the people and carry its blood behind the inner curtain. There he will sprinkle the goat's blood over the atonement cover and in front of it, just as he did with the bull's blood. Through this process, he will purify the most holy place and he will do the same for the entire tabernacle or the church because by the defiling sin and rebellion of the Israelites. Brothers and sisters, when you come into the community of God, you are not coming in isolation. What you bring into the house of God is going to affect everyone, not just the wrongs you do, but the good as well. That's why we say, come with your worship. Because when your worship meets our worship, God brings the diversity of all of our worship together into one that allows him to be able to receive our offering and what we present. 
No one else is allowed inside the tabernacle when Aaron enters it for the purification ceremony in the most holy place. No one may enter until he comes out again after purifying himself, his family, and all the congregation of Israel, making them right with the Lord. Right? Now, the last part, and we're going to be done with this reading. When Aaron has finished purifying the most holy place and the tabernacle and the altar, he must present the live goat. He will lay both of his hands on the goat's head and confess over it all the wickedness, rebellion, and sins of the people of Israel. In this way, here it is, he will transfer the people's sin to the head of the goat. Then a man specifically chosen for the task will drive the goat into the wilderness. As the goat goes into the wilderness, it will carry all the people's sin upon itself into a desolate land. The man chosen to drive the scapegoat into the wilderness of Az Azel must wash his clothes and bathe himself in water. Then he may return to the camp. The word Az Azel is a combination of the Hebrew word for goat, which is Az, and the Hebrew word for to carry or to take away Azel. This is the basis for the translation of the word Az Azel as scapegoat. Stay with me, church, right? Literally, the goat that would carry away the sin of Israel. But the word is sometimes spelled azal, zal, right? <laughs> Which has a different, a more nuanced meaning, but captures the same essence. Azal means removed, and when joined together, we get azal, zal means removed by a repetition of acts. So when you hear the first one, it's always to remove something, but when you have the Azazel added, it's a repetition of acts, meaning it's not a one-time thing. Are you with me? So, so the idea here is that when you come with this idea of, of getting your atonement for your sin, it's not you do this one time, and then you're good. See, we come, why, why would, we, would we pray often? Because the moment we pray, and the moment we do something, we have to do what? Come back again because we keep doing more stuff. So the idea is over and over and over and over again. You have to keep coming back and back and back again to the altar every year after year after year. The priest has to continually be making atonement for the people because the more you do good is the more you mess up and the more you need forgiveness and the more you mess up again and the more you need more. And over and over and over again, a repetition of acts. Constantly, consistently, continually going to God. God, help me. God, I failed you. God, you understand what I'm saying? Imagine what I'm talking about. That you can be so broken that no matter how many times you go to God in prayer for forgiveness, and he does forgive you, that time you break again and you keep going back. The consistent and repetitious act makes the removal complete over and over and over again. But the way that the scapegoat is treated is very dramatic, and we're going somewhere. You see, the high priest placed both hands upon the head of the goat and confesses aloud the sins of the whole nation, thereby transferring those sins from the people to the goat. And then they cast out this goat, as a symbol. It's a ritual. A ritual is a religious or a solemn ceremony 
consisting of a series of actions performed according to a certain order. But in this ritual, there is something called transference. Transference is the redirection of something to a substitute. So what we need to understand, brothers and sisters, in this ritual is that whether or not we consider it symbolic in nature or whether or not we believe that sins were actually transferred to an unsuspecting or an undeserving substitute does not change the fact that a real punishment that we deserve for our sins was taken away. Many people decry rituals and say, don't take all of that. Ceremonies are, is a form and fashion and it lacks substance. But from our text, it is clear that as far as God is concerned, the ritual is more than just a show. This is more than just a show. Why are we coming to church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and doing all this stuff, dressing all up? Why, why are we doing this all the time? Is, this, is there meaning to it? Is there something about it? Is there something important? for us in it or is it just pretending every day because we have nothing better to do on a Sunday well let me answer that question for you listen carefully Leviticus chapter 10 verse 1 to 3 Aaron's sons Nadab and Abihu Aaron's two sons took their censers they put fire in them and they added to their fire incense God didn't tell them to add incense. Mm -hmm. And they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to his command. So fire came down from the presence of the Lord and burnt them up. They died before the Lord. Moses, here it is, Moses then says to Aaron, this is what the Lord said. Among those who approach me, I will be proved holy in the sight of all the people. I will be honored. And Aaron remained silent. Aaron's two sons just got incinerated because they came to the altar of the Lord the way they wanted to. And Aaron has to watch this. And be silent. Aaron's sons died because they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord. Or in other words, they did not take the ritual ceremony seriously. So what about communion? Holy communion that we are taking today. Is that not a ritual as well? Should we take all of this seriously? Well, what does the Apostle Paul say about holy communion? He says this, For I received from the Lord what I also pass to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until his coming again. So then, whoever, here it is, soever who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty 
of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep or died. So what am I saying? Can we do whatever we want when we come to the altar of the Lord? Has anything changed? But beyond even holy communion, what about <laughs> holy matrimony? Also known as the marriage ceremony. Is that not a ritual yes, as well? Should that too be taken seriously? What do you think? And again, I'm not judging anyone. I'm just asking questions. Because we've done sung songs up in here saying, Lord, I love you more than everything and anything. And you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. But I want to bring strange fire on your altar when I want to. My point is simply this, that the book of Leviticus is helping us see that God is holy. And he cannot be associated with anything that is unholy. But he has made a way for us to get to his holiness. And that came in the form of Azazel or our scapegoat. See, y'all know good news was coming. Yes, sir. You see, as the first goat was killed as a representative of the nation before God, the second goat would carry the sins as a representative of the nation. I know I'm coming down your street. You hear me coming. The live goat was brought deep into the wilderness by a trusted man and released in a barren place. Ancient Jewish tradition tells us that the goat would be led to a rocky place or a place where there's jagged rocks outside the camp and it would die. They're hoping that once the goat is gone, the goat ain't gonna come back. So they wanted the scapegoat to be gone. You see, the scapegoat is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ who bore our sins by first dying on the cross, the first goat, and then thereby taking our sins away, the second goat, with all its guilt and its shame. You see, in 2 Corinthians, Paul says, God made him who knew who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Are you hearing me? You see, our sins were laid on Jesus Christ. He bore our sins just as the scapegoat bore the sins of the Israelites. And then in Isaiah 53 and 6, it, the prophet declares, for we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, bringing our own strange fire. And the Lord laid upon him the iniquity of all of us. After the sin was laid on the scapegoat, the scapegoat was considered unclean and driven into the wilderness. The goat was cast out. The same thing happened to Jesus as they crucified him outside the city. My brothers and my sisters, you know what it's like to be a scapegoat. You know what it's like to receive the brunt of everyone else's abuse and mistreatment. And like Mr. Coleman, some of you may know what it's like to bear the burden of other people's guilt. But I want you to know today that nobody understands your pain 
better than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He embodied what the scapegoat represented. And by him becoming our scapegoat, he completely atoned for our sins and he carried it far away. Now let me close off by making this plain. Every year, the priest, once a year, would come and put the blood of the goat on the top of the Ark of the Covenant. He would purify himself first before he could even go into the tabernacle. So before the preacher or the pastor comes into the pulpit, he better make sure he write before God. And he makes intercession. Did I not say that today when I prayed? Lord, as I stand here by the authority you've given to me through the blood of your son, Jesus Christ, I now make intercession. Did I not say that? Yes, sir. Because I recognize that God has not changed his ways. And guess what? The blood of the sacrifice is still required every single day from us. And God turned around and he looked and he says, you know, I got to have a better system than this. My people keep coming and coming and coming and messing up and coming and messing up and coming and messing up and coming. I need to do something about that, Sister Precious. So he said, you know what? Rather than have you all go find a goat, let me see if there's anybody on the earth that is perfect enough, because I can't take anything that's imperfect. Let me find if anybody is perfect enough that I can slay them on behalf of everybody so that we don't have to keep doing this over and over and over again. And he couldn't find any. Because all have sinned and fallen short of his glory. So he said, you know what? Since I can't find anybody, I'm going to become the goat myself. So he put on a body and became a man. And he was abused, mistreated, flogged. He was scourged, punched, spat on. He was lied on. He was betrayed, even those who were closest to him. All those who he did, everything, even the same people who he healed, they came back saying, yeah, it's him. They beat him and flogged him and they gave him a heavy cross to carry. And they cast all of their burdens upon him. Then they took him outside the city, hung him up on a tree, crucified him, killed him, dead. He paid it all. And when he paid it all, he made it stop every single time that anyone would have to come bringing goats and animals again. I want you all to understand that as bad as you think you may be, or as horrible you may feel yourself being even scapegoated, I want you to know that Jesus already became the scapegoat of scapegoats. Yes, he is the Lord of Lord and the King of Kings. That's him in his majesty. But him in his humility is the lowest of the low. The scapegoat of scapegoats. And when he went and died, he said, you never ever again have to worry about your righteousness and coming to me perfect. All I want you to do is call on my name. And my Father, the Holy God who can't accept strange fire, will see me and forgive you.
every single time. That's the gospel. That's our scapegoat. And he did it once and for all. So we would never have to feel or be scapegoated ever again. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter even what has been done to you. He's our scapegoat so that you no longer will be cast out. No matter what you face. He is the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. He is our great high priest. And as I close this message, now behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. May the Lord richly, richly bless you, my beloveds.